January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And while trafficking is viewed as a law enforcement issue, its roots can grow deep in a community, creating more widespread problems. But having a Spotlight Month provides a time for us to educate ourselves about human trafficking and, more importantly, to learn the signs of its existence. The North Carolina Justice Academy is committed to this focus and accordingly will dedicate the entire month to different aspects and issues involved in human trafficking. Field press towards Quentin. Um, turn around. I was driving down Quentin. I'm turning around and see if I can find him again. NCJA 1014. NCJA 1014. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of NCJA 1014. I'm your host, Kirk Puckett. In this episode, we'll start with the basics, a working definition, and the work of the Human Trafficking Commission in North Carolina. We'll talk about the Justice Academy's involvement in training, and we'll hear from those who are working in the field daily to combat this criminal activity and its impact on victims. We have assembled a panel of experts on the subject of human trafficking, and we're honored to have them working in various functions within the great state of North Carolina. Today's participants include Mark Nichols, hired major with the North Carolina Highway Patrol and member of the state's Human Trafficking Commission, Trevor Allen, director of the North Carolina Justice Academy that enhances the careers of law enforcement through research, education, and training. Carl Wall, special agent in charge of the Human Trafficking Unit with the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. And special agent Megan Phillips-Mashburn, also with the North Carolina SBI, currently assigned to human trafficking cases in nine counties of our state. Let's get it started. Second to be introduced, but the first to field a question. Trevor, I know there are probably a lot of different ideas of what human trafficking is. Let's start with a working discussion and definition of human trafficking. Thanks, Kirk. Uh, Human trafficking is the act of recruiting, transporting, or obtaining a person for compelled labor or commercial acts through the use of force, fraud or coercion, or which a minor is involved. When you break that down three parts, really, under federal and North Carolina law, human trafficking is one, a minor involved in any commercial sexual activity, two, adults induced into commercial sexual activity through force, fraud, or coercion, and three, children and adults induced to perform labor or services through force, fraud, or coercion. Call. Let me kind of head along off of that definition and talk about the fact that it's complicated at best. And when you start having a discussion about a very complicated definition like that, many times people will just say, this is not happening in North Carolina, or it's so rare, it doesn't even deserve discussion. What can you say about how often human trafficking is happening across North Carolina? Kirk, thank you, and thanks for everyone being here to discuss this topic. One of the things that we see as we travel to state and give instruction to different individuals, law enforcement and communities alike, is that we all seem to have this belief that it's not happening here. It's not in my community. It's in, it's in you know, the bigger neighborhood. It's in the more affluential neighborhoods. 
or it's just not where I'm living because we physically are not seeing it. But Kurt, what we found over the last three years in working this type of investigation, uh, working these cases proactively, is we're finding human trafficking across the state of North Carolina is in every community. It's everywhere. Uh, statistically, yes, there are more cases being shown uh, in large populated areas, uh, more so than the rural areas. But I have yet to found a community uh, in which we have been present in and did the research on to not find the numbers. The numbers are there. Uh, matter of fact, we just uh, spoke to the Sheriff's Association uh, just last week. Um, and I looked up a, a county out west that you would have never in a million years thought you could have seen human trafficking at. And just by Googling and going to part of the Internet, I can tell you it's there. Um, and so I had a conversation with the sheriff just to make sure that they understood that, that it's in his community as well. So it's everywhere. And kind of going back through my career, it, it kind of resembles meth labs. Everybody said, there are no meth labs in North Carolina. And it turned out the western part of the state seemed to have one of the largest populations. And now you're saying human trafficking is kind of taken on those same legs. Yes, sir, exactly. That, that's one of the examples, believe it or not, that I used in a lot of my presentations. Uh, having been a certified Klan lab agent many, many years ago, um, we didn't have them. Uh, now, we know all well and good they were here. We just didn't know what we were looking for. Uh, and once the training uh, came about to all law enforcement, uh, you saw what the numbers in North Carolina uh, became. And, and, and now that we're working it proactively, what they've gone down to. And in my personal opinion, I believe that's what you're going to see uh, with human trafficking. You're going to see once we get education out to most law enforcement officers, both on the road and on the, the investigative side and to the community, we're going to get more tip, uh, more alerts, and the numbers are going to increase. Um, but that's a good thing. That means we are uh, finding it and trying to put a stop to it. Mark, like that definition that Trevor gave us of human trafficking, I'm sure there are a lot of people that have never heard that definition before. I feel equally sure that there may be some folks that don't even know that the Human Trafficking Commission is in existence in North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Thank you, Kirk, for having us. You know, the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission is a legislative appointed commission to spearhead and tackle anti-human trafficking efforts in North Carolina. And there's basically seven points that we refer to that we concentrate on. Those are examining and combating human trafficking efforts across the state, funding and facilitating research for law enforcement and the community, creating measurement and assessments of accountability measures so we can look at our data to determine across the state, just like a virus, where it's beginning to spread and increase. And educate law enforcement. Uh, thanks to our friends here in Trevor and his group there at the Justice Academy. So grateful to you and your folks for what you do every day. Uh, also work close with the social service providers and the general public. Um, we suggest new policies uh, for General Assembly, for bills, procedures, legislation. Work close with their district attorney's office across the state. We have representation by our great staff with the commission. We develop uh, roundtable responses and identify all gaps in law enforcement or services that we can provide recommended solutions, whether it be legislative uh, action or not. We, we come up with some clever ideas to put the fire out, as they say. So very proud of the commission. We got a talented staff. 
and they cover all areas uh, that you can imagine for this horrific crime. So um, we're glad to be here today and, and answer some questions and start the conversation. Well, Trevor, since your name was dropped in part of Mark's answer, let's let's kind of head that direction and talk about what the North Carolina Justice Academy is doing as far as the training component of human trafficking is concerned. Sure, Kirk. Um, so you mentioned in the intro that the Justice Academy's mission is one of research, education, uh, and training. And the Justice Academy develops and delivers training across a wide spectrum of topics for law enforcement and criminal justice, from investigations to crime scene training to leadership topics. And uh, human trafficking is one of, the, of those topics that we work on. Um, and we do that at different levels. So starting off with basic training, or, or what many in the industry know as BLET, or basic law enforcement training. Uh, there is a two-hour block in that overall curriculum that, that is dedicated to an awareness level of human trafficking. And that's required for every officer in order to become an officer in the state of North Carolina. You have to complete that training. We don't stop there, though. We take that to another level and offer other levels of training in human trafficking. We have a, a six-hour course called Human Trafficking Protocols and Training for Law Enforcement. We also have a course called Truckers Against Trafficking, which is another awareness level course, uh, a one-hour course for that. And then both the Sheriff's Commission and the Criminal Justice Commission have mandated training for all law enforcement over past years uh, on human trafficking. So in 2011, there was a four-hour block of instruction on human trafficking and then a two-hour block in 2016. So the commissions mandate that training and then the Justice Academy develops that training to meet those requirements. So we've done training at the basic and advanced levels uh, on human trafficking over the years and we'll continue to do so. So as usual, the Justice Academy doing what it does best. Carl, let's talk a little bit about the role and the involvement of the State Bureau of Investigation. And I know your answer could probably last for the remainder of this episode. And if it does, that's fine. But let's let's hear about what you have seen and learned about human trafficking in your role as special agent in charge of the human trafficking unit. Yeah, this could be a lengthy answer, Kurt. Um you know, the way it began in 2017, our General Assembly, um, I think, looked around the room and wanted to find a state agency that had original jurisdiction over human trafficking. Uh, and in 2017 and prior to that, there wasn't one. Uh, the SBI was tasked with creating a unit uh, and taking that on as our one of our many primary investigative duties. And so it became part of our original jurisdiction. Where obviously, you know, sheriff's offices and police departments and anybody else can work those type of cases, but nobody was really required to. So fast forward a bit, uh, we we started putting a program together uh, early 2018, and I got involved in July of 2018. They came to me as the the special agent in charge over our training section and uh, tasked me with this duty. And so it's been a learning curve. Uh, we've had to uh, educate not only ourselves, our agents, but now we're finding we're doing a lot of education of our local officers and, and our state peers just because, you know, there's a gap for when, as Trevor mentioned, that it came into BLET, uh, but for somebody that's been on the job for some time, um, 
they've probably come across human trafficking and just didn't realize what it was. So the Bureau has taken a keen interest, in, and that's one of our primary goals, uh, is to educate. We do both advanced training and, and basic training to anybody that'll listen. But the Bureau is committed to forming this unit. Of course, as, as most people would expect when this was handed down to us from our General Assembly, uh, it was with no funding and no manpower. Uh, so right, you know, to, for the, since 2018 is basically a unit of one. But that being said, uh, I'm very fortunate that other special agents in charge across the state have allowed about 14, give or take, some come on, some come off, uh, 14 to 16 agents to get trained and able to respond to the cases and the tips as they come in. So, you know, we're doing everything we can. These agents are dual-rolled, if you will. Some some are doing more than two roles. They're doing three roles. Uh, they may be a crime scene agent, a drug agent, and the collateral duty is, is human trafficking. So we've got resources out there. We have been lobbying the legislation, and we actually had it in last year's budget to get eight full-time members to this unit uh, and make it a full-time standalone group. And uh, that's what we're still pushing towards for, for 2021. We want everybody to understand that obviously we're committed to this and uh, the role of the SBI is to not only educate, but be a leader in this. Uh, we're not looking to take anyone's cases. Uh, we're looking to assist with them, uh, find them, find those local agencies, uh, the correct resources, provide them with any assistance that we can give them, um, stand them up with our intelligence analysts and work these cases as they need to be worked. So the Bureau is 100% committed to this, and um, we partner closely with the, the commission to see the trends and what's going on and make sure we're there to support it. Well, one of those agents that you mentioned, no doubt, is also on our panel today. That's Megan Phillips-Mashburn. And Megan, you're working a, a very wide area with nine counties of responsibility, so obviously you've seen some things too. Can you talk about some specifics that stand out to you when you're working these human trafficking cases? Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Kirk, for having me. I think whenever I first started working these cases on a more full-time basis, um, some of the things that I noticed is that most people see human trafficking as a girl put in a shipping container and sent across to another country. And that's that's really not what all human trafficking is. It can happen in any city, any state across the country. Um, it's not just females, it's also males. Um, we have children, we have adults. So there's literally anybody can be a victim of human trafficking, um, which is something that I really noticed when starting to work these cases. Another thing is some of the victims tend to be more of like what we would consider high risk victims. So people who might be homeless or might not have a family that they spend time with or communicate with on a regular basis. Somebody who, if they were to go missing or start working in the sex trade business that people might not notice and might not report. So that's another factor that I've kind of noticed. And then also just working these cases, I cover some of the larger counties um, that have major interstates like I-40 and I-85 and 70. So we see a lot of human trafficking happening on these major routes through the state because they lead not only to our state, but also to other states close by. Mark, back to you. We've heard the term sex trafficking used within the definition of human trafficking itself, and it sometimes is referred to as a supply and demand crime. So what do you know about buyers and what can be done to go after those who are driving the demand? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, if you look at supply and demand in this criminal act, you look at it back, it goes back biblical, Kirk. It goes back to the beginning of the time where individuals were taken and often sold for pleasure to individuals. And and you fast forward to today where we're at, it's hard to believe that it's still occurring. And you heard Megan say that, you know, the supply and demand follow large concentrations of of activity. And if you look at the interstate corridors in North Carolina, it's always been a hot uh, commodity pusher for narcotics trafficking, or in this case, sex trafficking. And the reason being why there's a lot of individuals that are traveling uh, up and down these areas. There's a lot of uh, sports activities. There's a lot of construction. All these things bring a supply and demand to the field in, in sex trafficking. And unfortunately, it's happening every day, as you heard Carl and Megan say, and it's happening right outside your your neighborhoods. Uh, the supply is there. Individuals want pleasure and the demand for it and the individuals that are pushed into these positions, either victimized through uh, a John or whatever, they're they're actually selling these individuals for these, in the, these young people to be involved in this horrible crime. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that stand out in, in Carl, I'm going to ask you to jump in here with me, is when we actually discussed some of the operations that the Bureau ran, it's pretty shocking, uh, Kurt, that they can post something up as posing as an individual and have hundreds of responses. So that's a perfect example of supply and demand in our state alone. So Carl, you want to talk a little bit about when we were together and what took place? Yeah, Mark, and 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 you're 100% correct on that. Uh, you're talking about supply and demand. Uh, you're talking about individuals. Um, a lot of times with excess income. So a lot of times we'll target certain areas during certain events, uh, i.e. a NASCAR race, um, the NBA All-Star Game, which was hosted in, in Charlotte last year, you know, the DNC or the RNC that has been hosted in North Carolina um, the past couple of years. So anytime you think that, that something large like that's going on, you got to believe there are individuals who are away from home with particular sometimes excess income and uh, they're looking for something totally different. So that supply and demand is there. Not to mention uh, North Carolina having one of the one of the many largest military installation bases, Fort Bragg. You've got Camp Lejeune. You've got Cherry Point down east. Uh, so you've got a lot of individuals who are young and single without having a girlfriend or a significant other that are also looking. So that supply and demand has always been there. Uh, I had a uh, an individual at one of the talks I was given telling me that if we could just stop demand, if we could curb demand, then then we could end this. Mark alluded to it. This started back with Adam and Eve. This this began long ago, and I don't know that there's a way to curb demand other than education. Uh, letting the the individuals who are potential sex buyers understand that eight out of ten times the individual you're coming in contact with, it's hard to say they're a consenting individual. They may be consenting for that time, but you don't know the true backstory of where that guy or girl has come from and why they're doing what they're doing. So education is going to be the key to kind of curb that demand 
Carl, let me let me hold you in that discussion for just another question, if I may. You talked about specific events that happen within the state, and of course, those are happening within local jurisdictions most of the time, or county jurisdictions. And of course, your perspective is statewide, working with the bureau. But what if local law enforcement wants help starting or initiating a tactical operation? What does it look like? How would that work? And how would the bureau be involved? Uh, it, it, it's very easy, Kirk, and, and we encourage them if they want to work an operation, feel like they may not have the, the right manpower or the right resources, reach out to us. These agents, such as Megan, are well-known within their districts, and I know Megan's been asked at different times by, you know, Alamance County Sheriff's Office or Burlington Police Department, hey, we want to do this. We may not have the financial resources or the manpower or the intel analysts. Whatever it may be, you know, we're always out to assist that local agency or federal agency. We work closely with HSI and FBI in doing operations. They've reached out to us. And also, when we go around and do these education pieces, Kurt, I encourage the locals. If you've never done one and that sheriff or chief wants to see what it might look like in your community, call us. Send us an email. Uh, we'll help you put together an operation. We did our last active one was in September in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And I remember standing there with the chief of police that night after we had encountered 14 potential victims uh, in less than 12 hours. And he was amazed that, you know, we brought this to light uh, by coming down um, and helping them with this exercise. And um, that's just what it takes. Got to get out there doing something's better than doing nothing and letting somebody see what it really looks like is usually an eye opener. Well, certainly another advantage of having the SBI work with local law enforcement is I'm sure human trafficking and operations like this don't know jurisdictional boundaries. It may start in Alamance, but it may end up in Swain. So having you guys involved kind of helps with that piece of it too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, as you said, it knows no boundaries, state lines either. Um, and for that matter, that's one of the things that, that's on our list as the Bureau of one of our goals to accomplish uh, is to kind of be that center point for data collection. We have an intel analyst that's, that's assigned to human trafficking. Um, and so she knows a lot of the players and a lot of the investigators. And we ask, you know, if you're looking at a suspect and you want to know, you know, maybe we've seen him or her uh, in other parts of the state. We're trying to create a database to where we can truly see what our victims look like, uh, which in turn, obviously, we'll be able to see what our suspects and what they're doing as well. So, yeah, um, it, it's all about coordinated effort. We try our best not to work in any type of silos when it comes to human trafficking uh, because it takes not only law enforcement, but um, non-governmental organizations, different agencies. So we can't work in silos. We, we've got to share all the information we possibly can. Well, you mentioned victims. And Megan, I want to come back to you to talk more specifically about that. It is, I believe, as Mark described earlier, just a heinous, horrendous crime. And there has to be some difficulty working with the victims of this crime. Talk a little bit about that for us. Uh, yeah. Anytime I encounter a victim of human trafficking, I always have, I guess, multiple emotions um, ranging from just, you know, it's incredibly sad. Um, it's frustrating at times, but at the end, if you can help that victim, it's very rewarding. So anytime you get the chance to be in front of a victim, interview them, hear what they've been through, listen to what they might need, 
um, and then come up with a game plan to work with your local NGOs to provide them with assistance. Um, that's always very rewarding. And it's also rewarding whenever we can work a case and end up making an arrest at the end of uh, that victim's trafficker. Carl, let me come back to you one more time to talk about the importance of multidisciplinary work and service provider involvement. Well, you heard Megan speak of it and you heard me speak of it uh, one time before, but this is the one crime, and I've been, been in law enforcement now 27 years, it's the one crime that I can't think of that law enforcement can do alone. You know, go back to my days when I was on patrol with Wake County Sheriff's Office, and if if, and I'm sure I did, come across a human trafficking victim, what could I provide them? I can't provide them housing. I can't provide them food, clothing, anything like that. So we have to work with our uh, non-governmental organizations or NGOs, as Megan said. They're right there on the front line with us. We have to have those individuals in, in our corner to know when I do come across that victim, when I do discover this potential ring or whatever it is, that I've got somebody to take care of that victim. That's the key here. We, we're, we're doing everything we can to get guys and girls out of the life, quote unquote. Um, we want to provide them with a better way uh, to live their life. Uh, and law enforcement can't do that alone. So it's super important to have these NGOs, these nonprofit organizations, you know, to be there with us when we do these operations to care for these individuals, to offer these individuals places to stay, be it food, clothing, uh, and, and there's a lot of them out there that will pay for and get these individuals either out of their situation, meaning move them to another community and pay for them to go to some of them go to college, some of them go to rehab. But these are people with the heart of gold and we have to have those guys and girls in our corner. So it sounds like you're kind of talking about the broader spectrum of law enforcement and, and partnering with these outside agencies. Megan, one of those big partners is the National Human Trafficking Hotline that, again, a lot of our listeners may not even know has existed up to this point. Share with us, if you will, how that process works if someone were to contact the, the hotline. So if someone thinks that they might have information involving um, a possible human trafficking situation, um, there's a few different ways that uh, people can submit tips to the national hotline. The first way is by calling, and their number is 1-888-373-7888, and they can report over the phone. Another great way is by text message. Um, people can actually text 233-733 with their um, human trafficking tip. Or you can go to the website, which is humantraffickinghotline.org, and submit your tip that way. The great thing about submitting a tip is you can stay anonymous if you would like to, um, but you can also put your contact information there for law enforcement, which is really great, so we can follow up with you um, about the tip that you provided. It's set up almost like a Crime Stoppers hotline. Yes, essentially it is. Um, I do think they have a chat feature also, so you can actually chat with somebody live. Um, but yeah, with the being able to remain anonymous and submit your information, yeah, it's very similar to Crime Stoppers. Thanks for that. This next question is going to take two of you guys to answer, I believe. 
Some people believe you have to have transportation in order to fulfill the definition and the crime of human trafficking. But in truth, a victim can meet that definition of human trafficking without even leaving their home. Carl, let's start with you. Can you please talk about this a little bit and maybe some of the myths that can be discussed about this situation? Yeah, Kirk, it's, it's interesting that you bring that question up. Um, when I was approached uh, to, to take this role, that was the first thing came to my mind. Uh, it is a um, a white van, if you will, crossing into the United States with uh, potential illegal immigrants or things like that. And that's what most people, based on the media, based on the news coverage, think of human trafficking. That there is a transportation element to it. There's not. That that's technically human smuggling, uh, which is a totally different crime. Uh, human trafficking, you know, just focuses on force, fraud, and or coercion. So it's it's a myth that's there, not only by the media, but also, you know, in the movies, people being snatched or taken. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, a lot of people, what they see on TV, they think is in real life. And so transportation is a part of human trafficking only in the sense that these individuals who are trafficking other people are doing it for profit. And so if that means taking my commodity from point A to point B, then that's what they do. So transportation does link in that way. And I think Mark's going to talk a little bit about uh, his experience with the Highway Patrol. Um, for those that don't know, you know, North Carolina has the largest conglomeration of interstates uh, in the nation running through our state going both east and west and north and south so you're we're going to see uh, these individuals being moved from point a to point b but transportation to answer your question uh, does not necessarily have to be involved uh, and you hit it on the head carl you know many years ago when we started out in my career actually training and doing interdiction work on our interstate systems with a criminal interdiction team we knew um, that the major quarters of North Carolina brought the opportunities uh, for a lot of uh, narcotics trafficking, money laundering, weapons of everything of you can imagine going up and down the interstate systems. As Carl mentioned, we connected California all the way across I-40 with a halfway point between New York and Miami, which are known as source cities for human trafficking and narcotics trafficking. A lot of people get here and they find a place to stay overnight. They open the door and the opportunities are there. And in my career, we saw a lot of this on the interstates uh, when we'd actually make a lot of narcotic stops. There would be a nexus to human trafficking or there would be individuals in there that were being trafficked. And unfortunately, many years ago, Kurt, and when we first started out doing interdiction work, we didn't really know human trafficking existed. We thought it was mainly smuggling. But little did we know, we were actually seeing signs way back then. And as we fast forward today, these crooks and criminals follow the same pattern MO, the old interdiction uh, trails that we found many, many years ago. And they transport individuals and we have stopped buses uh, and found them in on these buses a lot of times going from point a to point b where they've got a ticket and they're riding with an individual who's protecting them to get them there as a as someone that's just riding a bus to see their cousins we stopped them on the interstate system in their vehicles or their vans uh, we found them in rest areas before uh, now we're hearing information uh that they're actually using, uh, drug traffickers are using, along with human traffic, is actually occurring on the old uh, trails that came out of the Florida coastline that were flew in from the Bahamas and the Puerto Rico. So we're seeing those old 
trails that used to be hot with drugs. And now we're starting to see people being trafficked up and down these areas. And so it does occur uh, wherever there is a car, there is a road, something is going to happen out there. And we're starting to see. And, you know, we talk about uh, what else do we see in our local neighborhoods? You know, we've had reports and we've actually had cases out of Virginia where individuals would uh, uh, engage and watch school buses and find out potential victims that they could victimize getting off school buses and befriending those individuals through gangs and other activities. So we see that and we hear that. We see uh, other sources using mug shots out of uh, off the web for people that's been arrested that they could go post bail and get them out and then get them involved in their criminal acts from human trafficking. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely transportation involved from my point that I've seen over the years, but it could be that um, in your community next door and it's happening. You know, it's, it's occurring and we want to stop it. And that's what our goals are. I mean, as law enforcement officers, um, as a human trafficking commission, we want to stop this in our state and we want to make a safer state for our for the public and for the citizens of North Carolina and especially protect our youth. I mean, that's the future. So that's what we're seeing from our perspective. If I shine a little light, maybe back to you, Carl, for anything else on transportation that I might've missed. No, Mark, that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head. You know, we just want to make sure individuals understand human trafficking can happen anywhere in any community. Um, we're seeing more familiar trafficking meaning that a lot of times families are involved. Being an aunt or an uncle could be, you know, using that individual um, and, and trafficking them as well. So, you know, transportation, it doesn't have to always be, you know, a long distance across state lines. It, it can be, you know, taking your niece or your nephew to the McDonald's to meet another individual. Uh, we had a potential case in the southern part of our state last year, exactly where that happened. Um, and the employees from the McDonald's finally called after seeing this on three different occasions of an individual bringing a young child into McDonald's, handing that child off to an older um, gentleman that, that obviously, for various reasons, were, was not a part of the family, uh, and then meeting back up later. So we immediately went down, included the FBI because we were on state lines, um, and worked that investigation. But the people at McDonald's, um at that particular point didn't know what they didn't know and it's not their fault but once they saw it they had some education they made sure to call it's everywhere it's just a matter of being observant things that don't look right and making that call to your local law enforcement uh, we had rather come out and run down dead end leads than to discover that somebody thought they saw something uh, failed to call and later we determined we had a missing child or an individual that's in danger. So um, we always say, if you see something, say something. Well, folks, this has been exceptionally informative, but as the old saying goes, all good things must come to an end and our time is beginning to wind down. I want to give each of you an opportunity to just make one final comment. Let's try to focus it maybe on what Carl finished saying about seeing something and saying something. What else would you like to say or share that can help people out there identify human trafficking? Mark, let's begin with you. Absolutely. Um, to our law enforcement friends and colleagues, uh, we want to tell them, reach out 
to the SBI, reach out to the commission for assistance. We will plug you into the right outlet to get you the help you need. And to anyone listening, let's make this a, a go in our state that we attack it and we find a cure for it. And we think we do. Trevor Allen, director of the North Carolina Justice Academy. Thanks, Kirk. Uh, just to build on that with respect to you know this podcast and who we tend to reach with, it largely are those service providers, the law enforcement officers and related uh, public safety uh, officers and agents across the states across the state. So for for us, it's really when you look at the training content that we develop and deliver, is there anything missing from it? You know, are there pieces of that that need any kind of um, you know, update or revision or additions to that? Are we meeting the current demands? And, and we try to do that working with our partners like the commission and, and our, our friends over at the SBI, but just anybody else that's out there taking the training, uh, is it working for you? And is there anything we could be doing better in that regard? Good deal. Carl Wall, back to you, special agent in charge of the human trafficking unit with the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. Yeah, Kurt, just as, you know, one of the things in closing, just for our partners and for everybody across the state that may hear this, uh, know that it could potentially be in your community. Uh, odds are that it is. Uh, and if you want to get involved, call the SBI, call your local NGOs. Uh, they always need help, uh, be it whether it's physical work, uh, volunteer work, or even donation. Um, we want our law enforcement partners to know that the SBI is here to support you. You know, we, we'll be right there with you. Um, and help you work these cases to a successful conclusion um, and that we're going to stay the course. That's our goal. And finally, the person who is out in the field most closely working these human trafficking cases in a nine-county area, the SBI Special Agent Megan Phillips-Mashburn. Um, one of the last things I kind of wanted to just point on quickly is that, you know, sex trafficking seems to be what everybody realizes and knows about, but labor trafficking is also an issue within our state, and it's something that we should also put our time and effort into investigating and learning about. Um, so an example would be field workers. Um, a lot come over from other countries. They're brought to work on this plantation or this farm, um, and their trafficker will force them to work long days, you know, 12-plus-hour days for little to no money. They have to pay back for coming into the country, they have to pay their rent, they have to pay their food until they reach whatever amount of money was used to get them over here as a worker to begin with. Um, and that could take years and years to do. So uh, if you notice someone who is working a lot but doesn't seem to be benefiting from it, um, you might have a labor trafficking case, so just something to focus on. Um, and also just echoing what Carl said about um, We'd always love to come out and help with any investigation that you have. Um, we love to do proactive work, um, setting up operations and running with those. So anytime any local department wants assistance with the human trafficking case, definitely feel free to call us. Well, I would certainly be remiss if I didn't thank all of you to the service that you are providing to the state of North Carolina on this topic. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month throughout the United States. On this episode of NCJA 1014, you've heard that it's not an isolated problem in some geographic areas of our country, but is unfortunately active here in North Carolina. For law enforcement officers, please continue to educate yourselves and maintain a heightened awareness on calls for for service where human trafficking could be occurring. For others, 
please know that you are always the eyes and ears needed by law enforcement. If you see suspicious activity that could be even remotely related to human trafficking, please don't hesitate to contact the law enforcement agency that serves your area or the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Additional resources are also available on the North Carolina Human Trafficking Commission website, www.nccourts.gov forward slash commissions forward slash human trafficking. Remember, the North Carolina Justice Academy is committed to helping the fight against human trafficking, and a new episode will be posted weekly here on our website. Special thanks once again to our panel of experts for this episode, Mark Nichols, Trevor Allen, Carl Wall, and Megan Phillips-Mashburn. And until our next episode, please stay safe.